1: This is the 19th T-Podcast. Kieran Marsh, Nathan Drudy, back with you for another week. Shit Druids, bit on. We thought we'd be rolling straight into Aaron Pike, who is joining us a little later. Of course, the winner of the TPS Hunter Valley on the PGA Tour of Australasia. But lo and behold, uh, ring the bloody bell, my friend, because our man Cameron Smith. I want to talk to you about the number five. You know why, Druster?
2: Hit me.
1: Because in his fifth... PGA Tour career victory. He became the fifth Australian to win the fifth major. Did Cameron Smith today with his victory <laughs> at the players, joining uh, Adam Scott, Jason Day, Greg Norman, and Steve Elkington, who won it twice, actually, mm. as Aussies to have won the players at TPC Sawgrass. Uh, your immediate reaction, really, what a, what a phenomenal uh, Sunday 66 to get the job done, and clearly his best win of his career.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Undoubted, excuse me, Undoubtedly, his best win, I mean, two wins at Zurich, I think, in a team, both team events, a Sony Open, which is, you know, neither here nor there, and, and Tournament of Champions, which is pretty um, limited field. This is unbelievable, an unbelievable victory. And I thought it was touching, Marshy, that he hit the ball in the water like the Aussies do on, on 18. I thought that was a really touching moment from Smith.
1: It was excellent. We're going to get into it uh, and plenty more. First, we need to, I suppose, raise a toast to Ken, uh, as we do each and every week, courtesy of our good friends at Gage Roads Brewing Company, uh, WA's premier craft brewery named after the strip of ocean between Rottnest and Fremantle. I was texting you late on Friday evening as I was down south in the beautiful Margaret River region, tucking mm. into a few sidetracks. So the wedding that I was at in WA was looking after the sponsored product, a big nod to, to Gage Roads. They had, all, they had all types, of single fin, sidetrack, they even had uh, my favorite, the lager, the pipe dreams, as well. So it was all, uh, it was a gauge rose wedding. Were
2: you, uh, were you actually tucking into a single fin, or were you very much sticking in your lane in the, in the mid strength, uh, oh, XPA land? Because that's me, mate. Like, I'm, I'm, I know I'm drinking a single fin now, but Szechuan.
1: XPA. I was exclusively on the on the side tracks. Yeah. Little three and Good a man. half. So a little bit of champagne, but exclusively on the side tracks.
2: And can I just uh, say, hold on, I'd just like to interject here. Fucking sure. loving yourself, sick too. <laughs> MC the wedding. People, people don't know. Marshy is is a um, one of the best MCs, and I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass here, but one of the best MC, Thanks, event bro. MCs going around, and. Um, Holy shit, I saw some Instagram stories where anyone would think it was Robbie fucking Williams up on the stage singing Angels. <laughs> Felt a bit like it. Felt yeah. Felt a bit like it. Yeah. yeah. No, I did. No. Very good, Look, mate. You did a good job from from all reports.
1: It was uh, it was fun. And, yeah, I'd say probably comfortably inside my top three performances Excellent. that I've put on with the microphone. <laughs> Uh, it was good. No, it was good fun, and, and you know, a couple that mean a, a great deal to um to me personally, and, and also uh, water to my whole family. So it was nice to be able to add a little bit something to their day, uh, yeah. in in my own way. So, look, um, speaking of sidetracks, we've got sidetracked uh, yeah. from. Look, I, I, I called it the best win of Cam Smith's career. Um, for me, obviously, yeah, it's the players, right? And we'll get into this in, in a little while, but that's a tournament. For me personally, it's probably grown a little bit. I was quite cynical of it a couple of years ago, and I think I've grown to have a far greater appreciation of it where it stands. I, I shudder at people calling it the fifth major because there's only four, and there only ever will be four. But I'm more probably talking about the performance. Like, it, obviously, as you say, two Zurich team events, a Sony Open and a limited field century of uh, tournament of champions, century tournament of champions in Hawaii. This is comfortably, I think, his best performance in a victory because there's, there's just something about him, mate. Like, I think I said it to you in a message today. If you had to pick one person to get up and down with your life on the line, there is no other choice. Because I've had a number of conversations today with people telling me how stressed they were when he punched the ball into the water on 18. I couldn't have been less stressed. There's something about him that makes me so calm in those situations that he can handle it. And he seemed, pardon me, he seemed to do that time and time and time again across the four days.
2: Yeah, oh, look, I completely agree with you. And sort of reflecting on it today, um, obviously, sort of woke up at one a.m. and and tuned in and missed a few holes and woke back up at about four and, and caught the rest of it. Like, I I, I will go as so far to say I think this is the best Australian win since Jason Day's major at Whistling Straits. The and that's a big call because I know we've had some some winners um, of of female majors in that time. We have, but. We haven't seen the conditions that we saw uh, across that. For the tournament to get dragged out over five days, the conditions to be as horrible as they were, Mm. and for so many players to fall down around him and Cam to rise, I think it's – I agree with you. It's the best performance of his career to date, but I think it is the overall best performance of an Australian golfer since J-Day's major back in two fifteen at Whistling Straits. Mm. Um, I just think when you put everything together, it's taking nothing away from Hannah Green and, and Minji and what they've won in, in majors, but beautifully manicured courses. No, no conditions really coming into it, right? When I layer everything together, and and, and I agree with you. Look, I, I to be honest, I put the players ahead of the PGA Championship sometimes like depending on the course like pga championship sucks like there's no doubt so for me um yeah that's just just my personal view my my first hot take of the night there'll be a few because as we were waxing lyrical after recording a a pod with aaron wilkin last night i had a few thoughts around the course but i just thought it was the 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 stature of this victory was way higher than what I think a lot of external
1: media are probably understanding. Yeah, I I tend to agree. Uh, And you look at the standard of play. So 10 birdies today, and he's 66, Mm. um, which uh, there's been no better uh, single round of birdies since the players uh, first began in 1983 than his round today. I think Pat Kazire also had 10 birdies today, which equaled the record. Uh, But the record um, single round birdies, in players' championship history. He gained uh, four strokes on the field today, putting 11 and a half total across the tournament. Uh, again, most ever in players' uh, championship history. To contextualise that, uh, the back nine today with the tournament on the line, bearing in mind that he bogeyed seven, eight, and nine, he hit eight one-putts in mm. nine holes on the back nine today. Yeah. Just incredible and this, this is not uh, you know I, I've, I've heard a really good point made earlier today he also ranked I think fourth or fifth strokes gained approach for the tournament so it's not as if he was um, flaying his approaches and he was chipping which he know he's insanely good at and chipping in close like he's hitting his approaches onto the green and rolling you know 8, 10, 12, 15 foot one putts 8 of them out of the back 9 holes with the tournament on the line. Like the guy has huge stunts
2: Oh, enormous. Unbelievable. Uh, don't know how he's allowed to fly. But who uh, I get, guess, I'm guessing you, you probably know the answer to this, but do you know who led Strokes game putting today? And it's someone that I've never really thought of as the the best putter in the field. It was DJ. Like,
1: well, he was 63 today, came out of fucking nowhere. Unbelievable. Hit a 63 on Sunday, did Dustin? And yeah. and launched himself into a half relevance in the tournament.
2: Yeah. Um, so so he got 4.69 on the on the field today, uh, according to Data Golf, and, and Cam Smith was 4.16. But point absolutely valid. Um I think we've got to talk about Smithy's driving. If there's one weakness, it it was the driver. Like it was the the duck hook on 16 was comfortably the worst shot I've seen on the PGA Tour this year. Um, a, 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 and bad. at that moment, it went 179 yards. Man, like, oh, it was at that moment that I thought maybe this is where Cam Smith is at in his career, right? This moment is too big f- for Cam right now. And, and someone's just going to come through and and win it, whether it was Casey or Lahiri or whoever it was. But to his credit, took his medicine and, and went went back on 17- just hit an incredible shot, albeit he he admitted that he pushed it a little. And and then on 18 to, I thought it was a bizarre decision. And I know a lot of people agree with, with this is that like, why hit driver? Like, it's just not required. And and then the punch out was just equally as baffling. And, And I was kind of like the door, the door's ajar. Like it's not, it's absolutely not over. So I thought, you know, he he ranked sixty eighth for strokes gained off the tee this week. He actually lost. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to pull it up here. He actually lost one point three shots off the tee this week. So sorts that out, mate. The game is the game is magic. Like the putter was unbelievable today. Like I, I don't think people can can underestimate how how good that was. And so many times saving par from four, five, six feet you know, not to your point before, really, really good point. Like n- not chipping it from green side to one foot. We're talking about hitting approaches from, you know, they hit the ball a long way these days, but, you know, 90 to, to 150, 160 yards, right? So, yeah, I, I, as I said, I think it's the best performance since since Jason Day's major and and I probably can't really put it into words exactly what, what I thought all of that meant today for, for Cam because, yeah, it's... It's a fucking phenomenal win, KM. It's really. funny, right?
1: Um, the driver, I can't remember which tournament it was. The tournament not so long ago. It yeah, was after his about. win at Tournament of Champions where he was in contention. He wasn't leading. He'd come from behind and he put himself in position to win and got up on 18 and absolutely sprayed yeah. the driver. right. That's his other issue. He's got the two-way going with the driver, which is tough. <laughs> And then he, uh, and then he, <laughs> he <went. laughs> I know it was a baffling moment for you, but he went for the shot in between the trees at a line that only he and Pinner, his caddy, must have been able to see. Maybe not even Pinner. Maybe only Cam could see the yeah. line in that tournament. This felt different. Even when he put the um, the punch, which interestingly, you and I were talking about. I was actually listening um, to PGA Tour radio on the drive in, as I like to do when you know tournaments are in the balance on a Monday morning, we've got to get to work. And then I watched it back, right, and, and I. Even I didn't, it didn't, it looked innocuous to me. Like it was all forearm, right? But it was a really good point that I heard made that like you either had to punch sideways by 30 foot or go for the green because the in between shot was always destined given how much that fairway funnels down to the water. The in between shot was always destined to end up in the water. But again, I kept coming back to, I, I never felt unsafe. Like I could not have been happier that he got to drop 40, 50 yards out and hit a, hit a pitch. Which he almost put fucking in the hole. Mm. Like there was almost no concern because he almost drained the chip shot, right? So there's something about him. Um, he did it. He did it. I don't know if you remember, but he did it at the November Masters where he finished in a tie for second, where he was all over the map at Augusta. And every single time he found a way, which to me is so much more impressive, right? Because there's plenty of guys in the field this week. Someone like a Colin Morikawa comes to mind, who is a generational talent and arguably the best iron player since Tiger Woods, but seemingly is a flat-track bully in the sense that when the conditions get up and the wind blows a little bit, Colin, nowhere to be seen.
0: Mm.
1: Right? And there's something way more impressive to me in a guy that, yeah, it looks a little ugly, sure, at times, but continues to find a way. It's. I don't know. I, I would watch that. Yeah, it's nice to watch a guy who's generational iron talent. I'd watch Cam Smith eight days a week over that and the way he goes about his business.
2: Yeah, he's um he's got a certain quality about him that's very hard to put into words. That I don't know. the I completely agree with you. By the way, so is, it, it's,
1: is this? Sorry, and sorry, to interrupt. And I, I I'm I'm reticent. I don't want this to sound um. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Just do it, mate. No one's no, I, I don't you're this only putting two, it out into the ether.
1: I don't want this to sound too one nation. Um, but there's something quintessentially Australian about the way that he plays as well. You know? Like yeah, yeah. he's he's a scrapper. Yeah. And and it's not pretty at times. In fact, it's 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 decidedly fucking ugly at times. But there's been something about him since the president's cup at Royal Melbourne. I think that. I don't know, and we've not been lucky enough yet to speak to him, and hopefully we will be able to rectify that in the future. But I'd love to ask him about that event because it seemed to be quite a catalyst for him. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I saw something today, I think uh got on the PJ tour 215, 215 to 219, 150 odd starts, one one win, and a pretty nondescript amount of top tens. 2020 to now. Uh, four wins in 50 starts, and I think two or three runner-ups. So there's 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 a moment in there somewhere, and whether it's the Presidents Cup where he performed incredibly well, like he was probably, I'd say he and A answer. it was a dead heat for our best two players in the international team at that Presidents Cup. Whether it's that moment or whether it's something else, but there's been something since around that time that back in of 219 and a 220 you look at it you know 150 starts for one win 50 starts for four yeah is the split of that that kind of end of 2019 into 2020
2: yeah 100% i think um yeah i think my next question is like where does it lead him to now i mean you know we we get into major season yep. i think uh, i don't know it's 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 a really difficult one for me to to kind of assess and and i know that we always say that firm and fast conditions set up well for Australians because that's what they've grown up on. But the more I think about it, like today was soft; like the whole week was soft. That sawgrass,
1: pissed down the, rain there for a period. Yeah. So yeah, oh, it was it was, yeah. it was
2: dreadful. Augusta, right? T two in November, right? So there's there's a clear theme, and I'm not saying well, he's, he, he's I'm not three, saying
1: that he's three top tens from his last four starts at Augusta. So, yeah,
2: so. It, it, like there's there's soft there there's soft um in in hawaii i'm not saying that he's he can't play on firm and fast conditions but i'm saying like somewhere like a us open right mm-hmm. where we go to brookline and it's not going to be firm and fast from day one as opposed to an open championship or augusta so we could genuinely see him it, it could be one of those us opening type events where he he does take the next step and i think it'll be a big watch and i'd love to see him win a, a us open like I think that would be so special for him, um, as would a Masters or an Open Championship. But um,
1: I, I got to tell you, I really um, like. I like him at Augusta. I'm not going to say he's my pick, mm. but I really like him. Um, not only based off this performance, based off his form there, as I say, three top uh, tens out of his last four appearances there. I really like him at St Andrews. Now he won't get all the headlines from an Australian perspective. Uh, our default we will be to go to Leash because that's the, the the style of course that he kind of grew up on on the Sandbelt down in Victoria. I really like Cam Smith for the Open Championship hmm. because I think like the nuances there, particularly you know the the quintessential uh, hallmarks of a Mackenzie course, right? The nuances there and the slight differences in elevation, ball above your feet, ball below your feet, um, you know, uh, false fronts on greens, different green complexes, his his short game will be critical at a place like that. Listening to his caddy pinner, who was asked a question after the round today and said, you know, when he's rolling the stick like that, you know, eight one-putts putt, one on his back, 90, just not read greens. He said, Matt, I don't read anything from inside 60 feet. Mm-hmm. I don't talk to the guy. I don't need to. Yeah. Right. So he's he's an absolute wizard with the wedge and the putter in hand. I I don't know. The more I think about it, the more the, the open championship for me might might be his best tilt to the four this year.
2: Uh yes, I think St. Andrews is probably the only course that I think the open is the best setup for camp. Yeah. Just if the drivers where it is right, like there's you know, super wide fairways, right? Like, that's so which, yeah. yeah. So, so you know, genuinely doesn't matter. Um, whereas, you know, when we go to Ross and Georges or or any of the other on the road are, like, it's a little bit tighter, and and you can't afford to be missing. Um, So, I don't, I don't know if that's a fair assessment for for him. But yeah, no, I think no, no, this okay. is a great year for him to win win the Open. Uh, Jesus, don't get me wrong.
1: I should. I probably should have been more specific. I really like him at St Andrews. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily, you know, yeah. um, year and year, or yeah. You know, yeah, 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 Royal Port Rush or yes, places like that, but definitely like him in St. Andrews.
2: Uh, who else do you want to? Who else do you want to talk about? You got anything else on Cam Smith? I mean, like I thought it was great show of emotion afterwards. Uh, you know that obviously his mum and his girlfriend and his best mate were down there as well, and obviously he was and like I just want to as well. Yeah, and he's so, yeah um, like, uh, I just want to hang out from, with
1: them. <laughs> yeah, which was really nice. Um, you know, he hadn't seen them in, in his for his mum and his sister and his best mate. Um, obviously his partner's there with him in Florida, but I hadn't seen those three who travelled over from Australia in two years. Um, and usually such a calm. Level-headed, gives nothing away, type of guy. But yeah, it was nice. It was nice to see a little bit of emotion. Mm. Um, but mate, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I, I was just so impressed, and he he is oh, just increasingly one of my favourite, comfortably my favourite Australian player, increasingly one of my favourite players. If not, I mean, no one will ever um, dethrone uh, Jay Smith, but he he may be a uh, an increasingly close second. Um, I know we've got a little bit to get to on the on the course. Uh, Anna man the he beat, is a phenomenal story. Oh, this I guy think. is uh, ranked somewhere in the three hundreds in the world. Um, incredibly, like pragmatic individual. I, I saw him talk a lot about his his daily. Uh, his daily meditation routine this week. And he said, you know, it's something I do for myself 30 minutes a day. Golf is only one thing that I do in my life. And I was like, Jesus, that is so refreshing for guys that like, and not there's anything wrong with this, but, you know, there's probably 70, 80 nine percent of guys on this tour live, breathe, eat golf. And this guy, which may well be, have been the reason why at quite the truth, the richest tournament has ever been in golf As somewhere ranked in the 300s could come in and be the 54-hole leader, and you know play with the expectation of everybody that he would fall away, myself included, and be um, within you know a chip shot on 18 today of of putting himself in a playoff. So I just thought it was cool. It was really cool to watch him play, hit the ball really well at times. Uh, And again, you know, there's plenty of other people who did not handle the course or the conditions nearly as well as Annabon Lahiri. So uh it was nice. I mean if if there could have been anybody else other than Ken, I would have been more than happy for it to be the Indian Annaban Lahiri but um doesn't go home empty handed. I mean <laughs> so no, we no. did we didn't say Cam Smith um 3.6 million US, 5 million Australian. Thanks very much. And Anaban Lahiri takes home a pretty handy pay packet for uh, for runner up as well. So uh he he was great. No one necessarily else that jumped out at me. Um Kevin Kisner had a really finish Dustin Johnson as we said catapulted himself um, you know, into contention into a T9 finish with a Sunday 63 but yeah look it was a couple of random things which I know we're going to run through now um,
2: Yeah, I was just going to say on, on Anibal and Lahiri like, um, I think it was either the back end of I think it was the back end of round three which obviously got played this morning or, or last night our time so confusing but like the putter was outstanding. Like I'm looking at his he, he oh. was plus 3.47 strokes game putting in round three and and, and plus two uh point in round four, but that doesn't show what he was saving. Like I we were texting mm. back and forth late last night, I think maybe 10 or 11 o'clock, um, my time. And I was like, well, here is an out to make my bogey here. Like, this is good for Cam. Blah, blah, blah. No, nah, j- uh, nailed it. You know, eight Every nine time. foot in like not just trickling in like in the center of the cup. It was he was putting absolutely phenomenally today. Um, and, and I did tweet out today that like when he had that approach shot, um, into eighteen, like I had no no qualms that he was going to leave that short. Like mm. he was losing a shot and a half today on the approach, so I was pretty comfortable once Cam got up and down for for bogey. Um, that you know that we were home. I, I wasn't too worried about Anna Barnley here, but what a phenomenal story is, as you mentioned. Um, The only other one I would just wanted to mention, sorry, KM, I know we do need to keep our time because we're fucking not about it. Um, <laughs> a guy that doesn't get a lot of love and I don't particularly like him either because he's a genuinely boring dude, but Paul Casey fucking golfs his ball. Like seriously in the last, uh in the last, Two years, his performances in majors. If you can just indulge me for two seconds here, Please. um, is something like very, very, very good. So going back twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. So in twenty twenty, he finished T two at the PGA Championship, T seventeen at the US Open. Twenty twenty one then went on to finish T four at the PGA Championship, T seven at the US Open, T fifteen at the Open Championship. Then at the Players. Last year finished T five. This year, outright third in WGCs in twenty twenty. Finished eleventh at the WGC Championship in twenty twenty one. T twenty eight in the match play and T five at the WGC Invitational. Not a not an interesting dude, but holy shit! Like if you want a top twenty bet for Masters coming up, there's value at Paul Casey because I can guarantee you he will open at sixty seven to one. Easily,
1: yeah, he, uh, yeah, he's a very, very solid player, very yeah. consistent player, incredibly boring human being. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> hey, you no, know, uh, to your point, he golf's his ball and may have, um, in my time watching the game, may have copped the worst break I've ever seen on sixteen oh. today. Uh, for those who didn't see, he drove his ball um, quite literally, not, not adjacent to, not near. Quite literally into a pitch mark of a player who had previously played the 16th and not repaired their divot, and it was it was it was embedded, oh. like actually embedded. And the rule is, which needs to change, uh, that you can uh, you can get relief from your own pitch mark, uh, but not an yeah. opposing player's if they've forgotten to um, to repair their divot. So he had to hit from it is like of all the places that ball a tee shot you know 280 290 yards down the fairway could have rolled into it rolled literally into yeah a pitch mark yeah which is incredible yeah pitch, so,
2: mark, pitch mark not a divot like no. so not you know the 3 inch divot a pitch yeah. mark and it was like
1: yeah perfectly it, in there perfectly in yeah. there. it was like his ball had landed there
2: yeah, yeah, and like grass then covering the front of the ball. It is one of yeah. the all-time great unlucky unlucky. It's the tournament pieces. on the lawn.
1: Yeah. Um, before we get into random facts and figures, uh, yeah. Lucas Herbert, the only other Australian to make the cut and play the weekend, he finished seven over in a tie for 68th. Uh, missing the cut, Jason Day, Cameron Davis, Mark Leishman, Adam Scott and Matt Jones. I also just wanted to say that you and I were texting late last night Mm. Uh, and I can't remember exactly what you said you thought was going to be enough to win the tournament. I just know that I said 12. You did. Well done. I
2: I also texted you and said, do you think Louis a chance? Because he was there, and then he just completely fell off the face of the earth. I think he finished like T30-something, didn't he? Uh, Let's have a look. Yeah, T42,
1: shot four over. T42, shot 76. I think my answer was yes, but obviously absolutely not. Um, at the same time, <laughs> <It> <laughs> to, to, to the question, does he have a chance? It was. Um, I want to kick off the random, uh, random element of the news here with you text me last night. Geez, there was some rubbish going back and forth. Um, That's good shit. That you wanted to kickstart a new segment, um, probably a working title. So, you know, feel free to drop us a line if you've got a better idea, something like the missing persons unit. You couldn't neatly articulate exactly what you meant. Yeah. But I saw one performance today, which I think absolutely hits the nail on the head. Right. Um, Keegan Bradley. (laughs) uh, He – where did Keegan Bradley finish today? He finished B7, I think. Fifth. Yeah. Four four shots back. He went um, double on 17 and a bogey on 18. So he, he parsed those two holes and he finishes one shot mm. out of the lead. Where the fuck has Keegan Bradley been? And, yeah. and how did he, in a matter of minutes, become relevant <laughs> at the tail end of the players today? So, Again, you couldn't neatly articulate what you were talking about last night, but I saw Keegan Bradley today and I I instantly knew that's exactly what you're talking about with that, with our new missing persons unit. Yeah,
2: no, that's a very good call out. So essentially the missing persons unit is a player who has been around, e.g. Keegan Bradley, who won last year. major.
1: and he's won a major and won
2: last year yep it's fucking insane that keegan bradley's won a major just somewhere my mate buster reminded me that martin kimer's won a major the other day holy shit the german anyway um so uh yeah so uh great great call um on keegan bradley the other two that i've got in there at the moment and I, i would welcome any nominations uh from the field uh gary woodland Absolutely. He, he could be the president of the missing
1: persons unit right now. Uh, I and, mean, w- was a bit like Keegan was relevant for three minutes last week <laughs> until Yeah, until duffing a bunker shot like a foot in front of himself and having to hit again.
2: Yeah, horrible. And um, a sad one to put in, uh, Ricky Fowler has to be in there, I think, if we can't can uh, not include a missing persons unit and then have know- Ricky
1: Fowler in there. This is this is probably not a long debate. In fact, we don't have to debate it at all. I just found it interesting, given the long list of ridiculous exemptions that exist in golf. Um, you know, moneyless exemptions. Uh, you know what you get exempted to if you win tournaments. He was not exempt. He's a previous winner of this tournament, which the PGA Tour mm. elevate as the fifth major and and have turned it into the richest tournament in golf's history, as a previous champion yeah. of this event, he was not exempt to play this week. Yeah,
2: no, but it's all right, mate, because Larry Myers is coming back to play the Masters for the 58th fucking time.
1: Yeah. Oh, what a waste
2: I of just, time. Yeah.
1: It, it's I found that really. I found that really weird. I Like, don't get me wrong, he doesn't deserve it on form, but you know, we've said this before, golf's better when, when Ricky's playing. Yeah. And golf's better when Ricky's there. And the guys won the fucking tournament and right. couldn't get a start. Anyway. No. Um, Where do you want to
2: start with random golf news? Because can can I nominate one for the and this is we've been waxing lyrical on this? Can I start with random golf news, please? Goldman. Yeah. I think we have to start at Goldman.
1: Fascinating. Um,
2: <laughs> talking about Ricky Fowler, so uh,
1: maybe, maybe can we contextualize Goldman for people who maybe weren't glued to the telecast? Like oh, geez, I it was or, on there enough. Else? But he, he, I mean, he he went into the missing persons unit. You know, he was there on day one, and then disappeared for like thirty six <laughs> holes, and then came back again, and then disappeared again when the tournament was at the business end.
2: Jay found him.
1: Jay found yeah, him. Jay found him. He was in the lake. He was in the lake that surrounds uh, the global global home of golf. He was.
2: He was. Uh, so this uh, mixed, uh, mixed reality. Was mixed reality is the term. Yeah, AI, or fucking AR or VR, or one of those things. Um, Never. It was the, uh, the 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 gold statue that is the logo of the players. It's the trophy they brought it to life through mixed reality, and allowed it to hit a a number of shots through the iconic broadcast. shots, iconic shots through the broadcast um, across the four days.
1: So just to be very clear, it wasn't in person. Like if you were at TBC Sawgrass, you couldn't see robotic gold man. It was superimposed into the broadcast. Yeah, but with like. The actual setting of what was happening, real time in the background. So, uh, as an example, um, they got Goldman to recreate Tiger's infamous putt from the players. I think it was two thousand and one, maybe. Um, hmm. But it was but literally there were people in the background on the on the broadcast, like on their phones. Yeah, because it was and, in real time.
2: And today, they recreated Ricky's shot, two thousand and fifteen. Yep, yeah, two thousand fifteen. Yeah, I think it was fifteen. Yep. Yeah. Um, While a a volunteer was repairing the divots So like just Murdered this volunteer In the face with the shot My main question Is why do we need (laughs) Goldman to recreate the shots Like just show me Ricky hitting the shot Because they showed Goldman They showed Goldman hitting the shot And then Ricky hitting the putt Like, I didn't, I just, it made no sense to me at all. There was no sponsor integration into it. I, I genuinely
1: I, understand it. Like, is this sh- what we're spending the budget on? Well, it's just better to so say, shut Knowing, like, having a very vague idea about what this type of shit costs mm. to actually bring to life. Via what does it cost? Podcast, like,
2: roughly, like, ballpark, millions, like, if you were to do it.
1: Like, okay. millions. I, like, I shudder to think what it did cost and where that money could have been better spent. You know what it reminded me of? um, This is getting a little bit inside golf uh, because there's probably many of our listeners who aren't like you and I live on Twitter. But you know that that, um, tweet that's become increasingly popular in like the last probably six to 12 months where someone picks out a topic and it's like nobody – Blank space, no one blank space, literally no one ever blank space. Yeah. So that's what it reminded me of. It was like, no one blank space, nobody blank space, literally no one ever blank space, PGA Tour. This would be a great idea. Yeah. Yep. Like, no, There's no one calling for it. it no. Like, I don't know what focus groups they brought into the headquarters <laughs> in Pontevedra to say this, this is what's missing. Right. Yeah. Because it- <laughs> the, the broadcast has been getting. Incrementally and slowly and painfully better. Like it I
2: has been fucking awesome this week. I know, I know they'll get to a point in a sec that that will be a nice segue into the broadcast. But gold band, like oh, what? It was big boomer energy. This was some oh, yeah. boomers fucking found they've gone. Oh, mixed reality. Let's, let's love this. Pu- pump a bit of money into it. Yeah. Like it's it's big in it's big in the states. Like um, Carolina Panthers. They do they do a lot of mixed reality. With like the panther that runs around the stadium and stuff, yep. and I don't
1: get it. Like, like who is that for? But do you understand the Carolina Panthers? Are like they are a small market football team yeah. with a weird techie owner, yeah. and that kind of works for them. They aren't literally the administration's flagship tournament at their fucking home. Like, it, like richest tournament in golf's history outside of the four majors. It doesn't get any bigger than this tournament. Why is it here? Why is it not at some irrelevant tournament in the middle of the, the wraparound season? that you, you roll say out? say the some, Middle East then? <laughs> well, uh, that you <laughs> wrap out some, uh, you know, you roll out some like different ideas. It yeah. just, it was, it was jarring for yeah. what this tournament was.
2: It was very, very, very odd. But look, you know, good on them, trying new things. Um, can we go to the broadcast because that is a good segue into a piece that you raised that was very cool.
1: Yeah, so I thought it was I thought it was great. Mm. I mean, to be fair, I think it's been getting better. I know that um, we we don't have the same gripes as people watching it physically in America do because it's a bit weird. Like we take a feed, we take a world feed that's punched into K or Fox or however you watch it, and then obviously there are some subtle differences around ad breaks and things like that. But for the most part, we get like the CBS feed or the NBC feed or the Golf Channel feed, whatever. And I think you know I know there's been a change of hands. In production the last 12 months um for i think it's cbs or it might be nbc one of the two um and that there's been a noticeable difference just subtle things like the the live leaderboard right and then showing me the person on the screen where they are relevant to the leaders that seems pretty rudimentary but up until like 12 months ago it didn't exist yeah so small incremental gains have been getting better i saw one thing which like was unreal on the weekend and we both we we spoke about it today and we both we both noted it so it wasn't Friday because we missed Friday. Saturday yeah. was carnage.
2: I think I think the easiest way to describe it is by rounds because the days are just
1: irrelevant. It's so like it was being round a two. Round two was yeah. absolute chaos. <laughs> uh, and most of that was focused on the 17th, right? Uh, and guys who continually thought that they despite all of the precedent and all of the examples that go before them could defy physics and lift a wedge up into the air, into you know insane winds and land it on this postcard green on the 17th and not in the water. And there was a great graphic, um, which I thought, like, let's lean more into this stuff. Show me this. More this, less gold boy. Like more this, less gold boy. So After a period of time, um, they threw up a stat, and it was green. So this is for all of Saturday. Green in regulation average, relevant to the apex of your tee shot on 17. So how often you hit the green, relevant to how high you hit your tee shot on 17, given the wind. And guys, for context, taking between a gap wedge and like an 8-iron, that was the, the variance on club on club choice. So uh, 70 foot or lower, 75% green and red, 70 to 90 foot, 56%. So almost a 20% drop off 90 to hundred foot. Again, 35% again, a 20% drop off. And then some idiots were hitting it a hundred foot or higher off the tee. And they were hitting uh, the green at 28%. So less than one in three. Uh, we're hitting the green at a hundred foot or higher. That, that stuff, when I see the amount of water balls on Saturday in round two, when I see Brandel Shambly losing his marbles over 17 in the way it's designed, give me that, give me relevant statistical analysis that yeah. tells me that in fact, sure, it's a bit of a novel hole, but how many times do you need to see something play out in front of you for you to think that you're different? And it shows you that, Seventy-five percent, seventy-foot lie, fifty-six percent, seventy to ninety foot. Just pick a better club, hit a better shot, execute, rather than throw it up into the wind. Like that's the sort of stuff that I want to see on the broadcast, not Gold boy.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, I like golf has like, the reason. I've never got into baseball is because I don't understand the statistics. <laughs> golf has as many, if you, not,
1: because you don't get on base, man. You don't get on base.
2: <laughs> but like, I understand getting on base and I understand an RBI like I I get the intro level stuff but there is so much analytical crap that goes on in baseball that when it flashes up on the screen I have no idea what it means golf has that and more and so when they delve into those sort of insights that you've just pointed out like it's it's outstanding that helps me as a viewer as opposed to them saying oh well you know Cam Smith's hit it to four feet like cool i can fucking see that that's what's happening on the screen like i don't i don't need you to tell me that that's what's happened yeah give me why that's happening like that's so much more important so i thought it was amazing i thought they did a really really good job of the broadcast and i truly hope that that continues into major season i know i know the broadcast negotiation is very complicated um in the pga tour but i thought i thought it was excellent this week
1: talk to me about the course i you got some thoughts yeah look i th- I thought
2: uh, first and foremost I just want to say what a phenomenal job the sawgrass agronomy team did like it was truly phenomenal um yeah. I-, I know we're gonna uh we'll hear from Aaron Pike in a little while about what happened at hunter Valley and and how they uh managed to sort that course out but this was this was unbelievable like they uh, they've got a a version of sub air, I believe. Um, yeah, it's, it's not prob- sub air
1: traditional, but a version Yeah, of. a
2: version of, yeah. Um, and just phenomenal. Um, I don't know. Look, this this is an unpopular take, but like I, I think 17 is so fabricated. Like, <laughs> like it, it is on a course where there are so many good holes. Like you look at how 18 beat people up this week like yeah. that is that's just a well designed golf hole like for me and like i'm not saying i hate the hole i'm just saying like it's fabricated drama right like mm. it's it, it's you can take that island green and put it on any golf course in the world and it will achieve the same thing right it's a novel piece of like it's a novel piece of architecture there's you know the the ridge in the middle like the amount of times that it was just like pin position on round three, that front pin position was like, get it to the top of the ridge and watch it roll back and bang, like it was close. Some people overspun it, went in the water, but most people landed it close. Like I just think there are so many other great holes on that course. Like I really like 16. I think that's a really good hole. Um, 18's great. Four's great. Like there's so many really, really good holes out there, but I don't know. I'm not saying I did. I hate 17 i'm just saying i think it's fabricated drama when you compare it to a really good par three like like seven at royal melbourne west or mm. the dell at la hinch or i don't know thinking um seventh at, at pebble right like it's it plays into the architecture
1: 16 at augusta 12 at Augusta. yeah
2: like like all of those they play into the architecture whereas 17 is just like we got a massive like let's put a hole in the middle of it like it's I don't know like that's unpopular and, and I'm happy for people to shut me down here, but that's, that's my take on it. I know you probably don't necessarily agree with it, but.
1: Uh... Uh, I'm maybe just a bit more pragmatic. I mean, I think <laughs> it is what it is, right. And you lean into it. I, I think it's a part of, it's not my favorite hole at Sawgrass, but fish no. especially the imagination. I love, I, I love 18. I think yeah, 18. It's great. I, I can't remember the year, but it was, um, it was floating around a bit before the start of the tournament. The year that Tiger, uh, probably invariably in the lead, um, hit an iron. It must probably be a two or three iron off the tee on 18 and did the wild. like it was a stinger yeah, draw sick. on 18. Might, yeah, might, might be one of the best I've ever seen hit. I love 18. So mm-hmm. it's not my favourite, but it. Like I think it is what it is, right? Yeah. And I certainly don't... Um, Brandel, Brandel Shambly's takes were inane, like actually... You know that it's not fair that it wasn't designed for conditions like we saw uh, on on the second round. Like, uh, there's no quick
2: uh, fix to it, and that's the problem. Like, that's where I I don't agree with. Also,
1: like, when you look at a sample size of one round, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) In gusting winds, of course, it's bad. But I think um, I think in total there was either just under or just over 70 water balls on 17 for the week. That's really not – like it's, it's obviously comparatively to normal par threes. It's, it's a lot. But when you take into account that probably half of those happened on that, that day, which was unique weather conditions, it's actually not that bad. Not to mention the fact there were plenty of guys who handled it well mm. when choosing the right club. And there were plenty of guys today, Cam Smith, although he admitted he pushed a little bit, Kevin Kisner, like went – right at a tucked right back pin and managed to pull the shot off. It's not impossible. What I think it exposes is guys who don't have the shot. I mentioned his name before, but Colin Moricao, for as pure an iron player as he is, he has one shot and it's a weak fade. Mm. So we we saw JT um, in particular put on an absolute show of shaping the ball. He's one of the great shapers of the ball in the modern game because that skill is increasingly um, irrelevant. Uh, and, and non-existent in, in modern-day players. JT was moving the ball both ways, keeping it low, putting it high—like incredible um, show of control of his ball. But that is rewarded at that course. And if you don't have it, you don't have it. But doesn't mean it's a terrible course. It doesn't mean it's not well-designed. Sure, 17 is an absolute gimmick. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But like, I think that you gotta you gotta lean into that. Uh, like, it, it's not going to change. It's a it's such a classic Pete die design, right? That 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 hole. Um, and Alice, for that matter, shouldn't take it any way from Alice Dye. But yeah, I think that if if you take it in context of of what it means to that course, like it's 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 the um, signature hole, but by no means I think um, the most important hole on that course. And if you can get away with you know four threes um, through four days, and that should be your focus and move on. Like it's, it
2: is what it yeah. is. Well, I, I agree. I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's a gimmick, right? Like I, 100%. that's, that's what, that's why it's so jarring for me. Cause you've got this amazing peak die course <laughs> and then this fucking island hole that just can move anywhere in the world. It's like, yeah. I know it's so iconic to TBC sawgrass. Everyone knows it from TBC sawgrass, but for me, I'm just like that, that there is nothing that couldn't be replicated anywhere no. else you look at the no. Hinch, the dell right the fifth at the dell you can't pick that up and put a mountain in the middle of a part no. three right augusta 12 you can't put a lake anyway we could debate it would you pay my question to you about this was would you pay 850 bucks to play TBC sawgrass no yeah i don't think i would either
1: no I wouldn't. I. i think
2: i'd pay it to play pebble
1: Certainly try and lean on any sort of connections we do have to get us <laughs> on TBC Sawgrass because I'd love to play it. Would I pay 800-odd bucks? No. I don't even know if I'd pay 800-odd bucks to play at Pebble. I think
2: I would for Pebble. but
1: Yeah, there's other places. Like I'd rather go up and play um, at Bandon and play up in, on the coast of Oregon. I'd rather go and play at Pine, Pinehurst. Uh, Obviously, I can go back and play at Arytown every day between now and when I, when I kick it, but there are other courses in the States that, that take my fancy more than um, playing uh, really anywhere in Florida, to be fair. I um, it's it's saturated.
2: Anything else in this little bit or what do you got? Did you
1: see the, um, uh, I think you could call it a diplomatic argument today between Daniel Berger, yes. Joel Damon and Victor Hosland? Yes. Um, so Victor Hovland had quite um the entertaining day. He was in contention for a period of time. Out of contention he had an ace on 8, one of two aces for the week himself and Shane Lowry who aced 17th in the third round. Uh, and then got into a weird um disagreement. So he was playing alongside Joel David and Daniel Berger. Was it the 16th hole? Uh yeah. Yeah. Water on water on the right that Berger put his approach
0: yes
1: into, yep yeah so yep. Berger puts his approach into the water his approach shot goes up and attempts to take a drop and um both victor hovland and joel damon say we will whoa buddy <laughs> what's going on there and burger what do you mean and they go there's no way that you crossed that's not your nearest point of entry there's no way that you cross there in fact we actually think you crossed a significant Significant ways back than what you did now, so I think Berger was trying to put it twenty-five or thirty off the front of the green, and they were looking to push him back like a hundred odd yards. And there was quite uh, a diplomatic, but courtesy of some great camera work, picked it all up—a relatively pointed conversation between the three mm-hmm. of them. Berger saying, "There's, there's, there's no way. Like well, this, this is where the shot went over." And they say, "Oh, we don't think you." sliced it that dramatically. We think it started left anyway and kept going. Um, Damon and Hovland were on the same page. And it, it's interesting, right, because Berger is a guy that he has been involved in a lot of these, but on the other side, he's generally the one that um, he's played a couple of times with Patrick Reed and been, like, on Reed's ass when he's making drops and doing things. So, like, pretty much has a reputation as a pretty clean-cut guy and certainly not misleading, but by the same token, like, Victor Hovland might be one of the most least confrontational players on tour. Like if he's actually standing up to say something and calling it out, he clearly feels as though you're doing something wrong. Mm. Uh, they called in a rules official and he was like, what, what, what do you want me to do? You, mm. you, the three of you saw the shot. I wasn't standing next to you. You need to make a decision amongst yourselves. And ultimately Berger said, well, I'm not going uh, to go against something you feel passionately about. And I think he ended up walking walking 100 yards back but said yeah, to them both split quite the difference. Clearly, this is wrong. Yeah. This is the wrong drop. Yeah. Didn't wasn't consequential. Berger didn't factor. But yeah, it was it was interesting, right? Because it's guys that, you know, as I say, Berger, um, he's generally the one raising the issues and he's very much a stickler for the rules. And Hovland, um, and you know, and Damon as well. Damon's been involved in his fair share of controversies and calling people out for things. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting little uh three or four minute patch there on 16 today.
2: Yeah, it was. I mean, it raised a lot of issues, I think, in the process. I mean, you know, um, there's people going off um, top, trace. top traces <laughs> and stuff, which, you know, are notoriously not accurate.
1: Some people um, were um, trying to screenshot the yeah, saw that. to Tour app. <laughs>
2: yeah, horrible. <laughs> they this just draw in, the they draw in a straight line. They're drawing a straight <laughs> line. Like, you know, you're relying on players to, yeah. um, like, so, so you're asking Victor Hovland and Daniel Berger who are standing to the left of – sorry, Victor Hovland and Joel Damon who are standing to the left of Daniel Berger mm. hitting the shot. When you're standing on the left of someone hitting a shot that way, the ball always will look further right than it actually mm. is. So you're asking them for a, an opinion off a skewed view. Daniel Berger, to your point, I think, you know, is, is a very utmost guy. Um like the whole process was just flawed. And then the rules official comes in and throws his fucking hands in the air and goes, oh, I don't know, you sort it out. Like that's, isn't that your job? Like, I don't know, come up with a solution. But uh, to be honest, like all, all in all on this, I actually felt a bit sorry for Daniel Berger. Like yeah. um, I thought that it was probably, he, he probably had a right. I thought that it did start a little bit more left. Um, watching it back when you watch it on the on the um, top tracer, like it's, yeah, it is pretty left and then it kicks right sort of at the end. So I was probably more in Berger's camp. I thought he got shafted a little bit, but I don't know. It's one of those ones that you just like, fuck it, move on. Like you've just got to, you've got to move on. And it wasn't consequential and, and and I'm glad it wasn't because we'd be talking about a lot more. So
1: ended up finishing T13. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to say to this tournament um, in the context of the Masters so we have uh, the Valspar this week with Sam Burns as the defending champion. Then we have the uh, the WGC Dell Technologies match play, Corrales uh, Punta Cana, which that might be the alternate field event for the WGC, I would have thought, um, and the Valero Texas Open um, leading into the Masters tournament. But this is, a, this is a form line. I know you love your form lines, and we'll talk about them in our actual Masters preview. Did anyone jump off the page to you today in the context of the Masters?
2: No, no one really. Uh, I think ultimately the, the short answer is no. I, I mean, Cam Smith certainly put himself in a in a good position. Buying, um, uh, buying yeah, Cam Smith. Absolutely, you'd be silly if you didn't. Um, and, and Paul Casey again, like he, he shows up in big events. Like I know people don't like him, but if you look at it pragmatically through a golfer's lens, there there is no doubt that he is a big big game player. So they're the two that kind of stuck out to me. Um, JT, I thought obviously that round on on in the second round was utterly phenomenal um and, and some good signs for dj so other than those four like no one's jumping out at me there was four that i kind of penciled down to go you know like yeah, that did some good things but what about
1: on your end uh so smith yes absolutely hovland is the other one so mm. fuck, that kid is so good oh, very so good. good he had putting sucks <laughs> oh chipping sucks putting was really bad this week so too. so bad He might have been second last in the field around the green Hmm. this week. So what gives me hope is that maybe he doesn't have to chip too much at Augusta because his irons are that good. If he sticks greens, if he hits greens in reg, I think he's going to factor because he's so good off the tee. Like he's elite off the tee. And then his his approach shots are great as well. So so Victor, and I look at his scores as well, right? Like he finished at seven under in a tie for ninth. He was one under in the first round, one over, four under, and three under, and it was ugly, and he still finished at seven under. Mm. And then JT, similarly, I mean, to your point, that that three under round in those conditions is probably seven or eight under on a, on a flat 100%. day, yep. right? And then around that, he had three even paths. Mm. So he didn't get out of third gear, Yeah. but what he showed is there's, there's no better golfer than him in those conditions. Not to say it's going to be like that at, at Augusta, but as I said, he's one of a few guys that actually move the ball both ways, um, in control. Unlike um <laughs> like what we said about Smithy, who moves the ball both ways at the tee, uh, with a distinct lack of control. So yeah, I like I've liked I think I think JT was my pick last year for the mm. Masters. I, I like I've liked him for a long time for Augusta, um, whether or not he gets done across four rounds, but. He's just showing a bit of form at the moment, which I think puts him in uh, good stead.
2: Absolutely. Anything else from the players or no. shall we turn our attention to the TPS Hunter Valley where our good friend Aaron Pike was the winner in a three-hole playoff over
1: Mamoka Kurobe? Yeah, and he's about to join us as well. Um, yes. I, I think – just so thrilled. He is uh, – we've had, we've had the distinct pleasure of getting to know some people well, uh, I think, through the course of doing this podcast. Um, and and me personally, I've got to know him relatively well, and he's just such a good bloke, and he's so good for golf in this country. What he does away from the course, and what he gives back, and you know, at 36 to be having a bit of a resurgence off the back of playing very little golf in the last 18 months due to COVID, um, you know, I said to you, and I'll say it to him uh, when he when he joins us. This feels like it's been coming since I think he started five or six under in the opening round of the PGA at Royal Queensland. And he was one shot off the lead. He's put together some really good, I think, you know, three or four top top 20s across the summer. And what it felt like was it was just lacking putting four rounds together. Ultimately, it was three um, this week with the shortened event at Hunter Valley. But this feels like it's been coming. And it's, it's great to see him come out. You know, there's some great performances. Amoga Kirobe, she was outstanding. 67 on, on Sunday to kind of fly home and put herself in contention in the playoff. Uh, Laurie Flynn our good friend tie for third it's his best finish of the summer so plenty of good performances around um, particularly on the road to the New South Wales Open that's coming up this week but just thrilled thrilled to see Pikey on top
2: yeah completely agree uh, they're, they're probably all ones that I really wanted to, to shout out as well um, last question that I'll leave you with before we get to, to Pikey is a winner from the New South Wales Open I'm going to stick with Daniel Gale uh, home, home course advantage so I said it a little while
1: yeah okay Interesting. Um, So there's only one person currently in the top 10 of the Order of Merit not there, and that's Brad Kennedy. So everyone, you know, this is it, right? This is double the prize money of anything that's left, and it's the biggest prize money that we've had in some time. So this is the one that's really going to move the needle from an Order of Merit perspective. I reckon I'm going to say quail. I reckon quail might get it done.
2: Okay. nice. That's my tip. I like it.
1: Quail will get it done. I think he sits in fifth on the money list yes. at the moment. Um, yep. So, yeah, it's an important one for him. But, yeah, I reckon Quail might get it done.
2: I like it. Nice. All right. Shall we get to Pikey?
1: Let's do it. Joining us now, Druids, is the champion of the recent TPS Hunter Valley, great friend of this podcast, and someone who I know both you and I were very thrilled to see lifting up the trophy. And, uh, per his Instagram story today, tucking it into the car for the uh, the drive down for the New South Wales Open, Aaron Pike, Pikey. Uh, welcome, mate, and, and congratulations. Fantastic to see you back on top of the winners
0: list. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having me on again.
1: How does it feel, mate? I mean, I, I think I've seen probably two different uh, kind of sentiments out of you in the last 24 hours. There was the immediate, uh, I suppose, aftermath, knowing that you come into the tournament absolutely setting your sights on a win, and, and then, I saw something that you posted on Instagram a little earlier today, kind of probably maybe a day on it sunk in that, yeah, it's been a grind and it has been a little while since we've been uh, holding up a trophy and, and can obviously reflect on that and be grateful for the journey. So now probably 48 hours removed. How, how does it sit with you?
0: Yeah, definitely. Realistically, the the grind part was always there. Uh, I, I've not sort of shied away from how hard it is to, you know, can compete, let alone win. So realistically that that never disappeared uh there's obviously elation and all that kind of stuff that the good things and, and so forth but um it just validates the work you're doing um it validates the long hours the, the you know the, the time away from friends family on the road in a hotel room um these kind of things so yeah, yeah it's a pretty quick turnaround though right you're you finishing up Sunday night and you you know you have a bit of fun and and you celebrate and then bang today I'm out there again you're doing your putting you're doing your practice you're out there playing holes looking at a new golf course um in the world of golf it's yeah it's uh it's pretty short-lived. We'll get
1: um we'll get into the details of the event itself in a moment but for me and I said this to Nath afterwards this this almost feels like it's been coming since the opening round of the PGA at Royal Queensland you know you got off to a red hot start there and um, obviously didn't win that tournament finish well and you've had a series of really good results without necessarily winning tournaments across the entire summer so was it was it a matter of just putting together four really good rounds of golf which maybe hasn't happened yet until this point or, or was it any one particular thing that tipped you over the edge because as I said it, it feels like this has been coming almost inevitably since
0: the start of the, the year yeah it's probably that's probably a fair breakdown maybe because it was a 54 hole shortened event maybe that was a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of got asked the exact same question on Saturday by one of the journalists uh, at the at the event, and my response was, "The games felt really good. I, I've, I've been out of the we're, we've been out of the game for a while here in Australia in terms of we haven't been playing as many tournaments as we normally would, and 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 also being able to travel for the extra ones that we would normally do." So. My, my response then, and, and probably will be the same to you now, is that just probably wasn't the reps under the belt, so to speak, you, the, 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 that conditioning that you get just playing week in, week out, these kind of things. So, you know, Aussie PGA, it was it a was bad 18 holes. You know, then I was in contention in another tournament, I think might have been um, nudgy the next week, and then all of a sudden it was a bad nine holes. Then I was in contention again at the big open. It was a bad six holes. Um, and it kind of it's probably not even six, it was probably more like four or fives, and it's been kind of just whittling down to just that. And as much as you just want to try harder or do more or be better, as you know, some of these people out there think it's as simple as doing it, it's not, you just got to keep going, you know. And that's where guys that play over in the states and Europe that just play week in, week out, it's just so amazing how consistent they are. It, it, it's honestly it's incredible. So that's probably that's probably the simplest way to answer it. Uh, more to the point, it's it's the only way that I can really answer it. Apart from the fact that I think your analysis was pretty bang on. The game has felt good. I've been working my butt off through COVID um, just to be ready for this. So, that, yeah, to put it into into a simple terms, it's like it's just kind of been there on the edge. I think I said to someone not long ago, it's just a matter of time till I win something. That's just where that's just where the game sort of was feeling. I don't want to sound arrogant. But that was just where the game was feeling.
2: I mean, it's been a fantastic win, um, and, and I've loved seeing all the celebrations. That the one question that I've really been burning to ask you, Pike, is: as you take a sip out of the red wine, this is what I want to ask you about. Is this the bottle that you got given? Uh, as first prize a what is it b is that what you're drinking now and c how much is left because i'm actually surprised mate that 24 hours on the you've still got fucking
0: some left <laughs> a, it's not the bottle b <laughs> uh, the whole bottle is left and c it was a, it was a hunter food. i've actually got it here it was uh it was one of the sponsors actually uh, Hungerford Hill Shiraz 2017 Magnum. So right. well, that'll and do. And it's still in it's still in the cabinet in the case. Uh I was told I was told at the venue. They probably knew my history my, my, my reputation, but um they told me they, they said that that's that's something pretty good. You probably don't want to be not saying that tonight's a waste, but you might want to have it when you actually <laughs> it. when you can taste it, you probably haven't had 10 10 of something else before it. So yeah, I'll probably I'll probably hang on to that and maybe open it uh, open it some other time. I haven't really sort of thought about it, but yeah, I've managed to keep it uh, intact and haven't uh, I haven't cracked it.
2: What were what were the celebrations like, mate? Because as you mentioned, you you roll straight into New South Wales Open Week now, and not knocking you down a peg, but you're the same. You, you go in as the same as everyone else this week. Yes, you won last week, but you're the same as everyone else. Now the players who missed the cut. They come in at the same level as you do now, but what were the celebrations like immediately afterwards? Cause uh, as you mentioned, it, it's a bloody good tournament to win. The TPS series has been excellent. What were those celebrations like afterwards? Did you let your hair down a bit?
0: Yeah. You, I think you you've kind of hit it on the nail on the head just there quickly. Just talking about the new South Wales open. It's, you know being straight around everyone starts at zero again right like we're on yeah. the exact same pool we're just you roll around thursday and it's all equal you can do exactly everything exactly what you thought you needed to do the week before but it means diddly squat now you know so that's where you're going to get the ego you throw it away and you start all over again um in terms of celebrations you know it was kind of late when we finished the plan was i was traveling with michael sim so the plan was we were getting in the car and driving to sydney and we were going to spend sunday night down in sydney and um, you know, have a romantic night. I don't know what we <laughs> And I were planning to do that, then you know, I, I couldn't get it done in regulation. So when we had a three-hole playoff, he managed to actually uh he managed to actually speak to the the uh the the boss at um at Cyprus and uh they actually gave us a room to stay because by the time we finished it was late. We went down, we bought some dinner, we had some red wine and then all the greenskeepers and the volunteers and, and the PGA staff were having a little bit of a function just with sponsors and stuff. So Simi and I went to that and um, and that was probably where I got the taste for the Hungerford Wines. That's, I, I, I wouldn't have any of those I had. I, I had them. <laughs> that, that, was, that was awesome and it was incredibly um, generous of Cypress Oaks there to, to put us up, which was great. Uh,
2: you mentioned the greenskeepers there. I mean, the condition of the course was, I mean, unbelievable considering what that area had been through in the week leading up and and even in the days leading up to it. I mean, can you contextualise it for us? Because sitting at home watching it on television, I don't think it did it justice. I mean, it still looked a little soggy underfoot. I mean, keen to get your reports, but comparatively to what that region copped, that is a phenomenal effort from the green staff, I can imagine.
0: Yeah, we. I, I, I said this in uh, to um Craig Malloy, the, the superintendent there. Um, I said this in in my in my speech, my um my my speech to the to the sponsors and and everyone that was still there, the spectators, was he was in my opinion he was the he was the winner of the week. Yeah, like if you saw the golf course Tuesday, Wednesday, there was rivers running down fairways. Like the golf course is kind of on the side of a hill. It wraps around a hill the whole way. It was it was wet. Like we couldn't play a practice round. Walking the golf course Tuesday and Wednesday, guys were falling over as they walked on 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 fairways. That that's how that's how dangerous. Well, not dangerous. That's how how wet it was. You know, it was dangerous in some spots. There was guys sliding down hills, guys and girls. So if you saw the golf course on Tuesday Wednesday, yeah, you were just you're packing the bags and you were not playing. Um, then Thursday, as late as Thursday night, the PGA staff were out there about nine o'clock. They were all looking at each other, thinking, "Have we made the right decision?" Um, and I know that because a few of us on the TPC, they they wanted to get our opinions on what we should do and so forth. And we said, "If we can give it a go, we give it a go. If it doesn't work, we come back on Saturday and we try again." You know, until we can't play, we try. So that was the philosophy they went with. But even still, nine o'clock, they were sitting there thinking, "Have we done the wrong?" So I think that kind of answers your question of how brutal it actually was. You know, it was, it was, yeah, it was it was as wet as a golf course as I've ever seen prior to playing. But if you saw it Sunday, it was, you know, there was a few spots on the golf course that was still a bit wet, but it was, the greens were unbelievable. The surrounds were unbelievable. I, I can't believe they got it to where they did, but man, they were out there at four or five o'clock in the morning and they were cutting at 10 o'clock at night still. So that, that was, that was the work that these guys were willing to do to get the tournament up and ready. And when you got people working that hard, you don't care how it actually comes out because you know these guys have done absolutely everything to get it there. And then all of a sudden the place was awesome anyway. So you, it's a win-win. What's the uh,
1: playoff experience like, Pocky? I, I, I'm trying to cast my mind back to the, the first chat we had, which obviously was a pretty in-depth look at your career, but you, you go into a three-hole playoff here. Is there, is there much past experience you can draw on? Uh, you know, What's your approach when you go into a, a playoff? Because it was unique, right? You did some outstanding work on Saturday with a 62, which we'll get to in a moment, but... You know, Momoka Kabori came home, you know, with a wet sail, didn't she, on the 67 on the Sunday to get herself into, into the playoff and all of a sudden you're staring down the barrel of essentially having to reset and go again.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's always, you know, we live in a world where, you know, you, you plan that you want to just get it done in regulation time. It doesn't always work like that, right? You know, she's sitting on the other side of the fence trying to beat me as badly as I'm trying to beat her. So um, it, it was... I don't mind being in playoffs. So, you know, I've I've been in playoffs in in my amateur career. I've only been in the one, which was against Simi, and, and obviously I, I got through that and won that one. So I, I I don't really have a problem with with playoffs as such, purely because I've always loved match play. So when it comes down to just me versus one other person, I know the odds are incredibly in my favor, um, relative to what they were at the start of the week. You know, it's one against one hundred and forty, and now it's all of a sudden one against one. And so. You know, for the, from that perspective, it's it's a good place to be. It's also, it, it becomes m- more strategy. It becomes more about, you know, putting pressure on them. You know, now all of a sudden I've got to get them out of their comfort zone. You know, and I do that by playing my game, by doing what I do. Um, my, my philosophy this whole year has just been put the foot to the floor, play as aggressive as I can, you know, without being reckless, do everything I can. And I didn't stop that. So my plan was to just keep trying to pile pressure on her and either i get away with a birdie or something miraculous or you know she she didn't play the hole as well as she probably could so um but she i i said this as well on sunday night i played with her at rosebud at the one of the tps events i got off the golf course and i said to the boys it's she's a bloody good player it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when she's going to win one so it didn't surprise me to see her in that playoff. Um, it didn't see surprise me to see. I think she's been, she's probably been in the top ten. I reckon in every tournament that we've played, all the TPS big open. I think she might have finished top six or seven. Like it's just, she's she's a class player. So I knew it was not going to be easy to beat her. <laughs> How have you uh, have you found the
1: mixed mixed events so far this summer, Pikey? Because obviously we've had a couple of different forms. Whether it's uh, an event. Uh, like the one on the weekend or Murray River where it was a, a genuine mixed event or playing adjacent to each other like you did at RQ. Um, obviously, Hannah's win down at Murray River got kind of global headlines making history as the first female to win a mixed event. And we seem to, when I say we, I mean Australian girls seems to have pioneered it in a lot of ways because it's not uh, save for, I think, the, the Stenson and Sorenstam event over in Europe, not really done very much at all around the world, but it seems to have become quite embedded in our summer. So, so from your perspective, how, how do you find playing the
0: mixed events? Yeah, really don't. Any Anytime we've got more events, more prize money, more opportunity, yeah, I'm a huge fan of. Uh, I, I think it's going to be it's, – it's interesting at the moment playing against the girls because they, they're not actually filling all of their spots because we've had so many COVID restrictions in terms of uh, a lot of the international girls. One, it's really expensive, and two, they can't really get here um, or haven't been able to get here for, for to fill their spots. So. When we actually start filling those uh, those full field women, when you've got another twenty five Mamukas and Cassie Porters and Hannah, well Hannah Green, you know she's top twenty five player in the world. She you know she's going to contend in any tournament that she put, puts the ball in the ground. When you've got another twenty five or thirty of those girls like at that level, I think these boys are going to get a real real shock as to how good these girls can play the game of golf. So um, and whether or not that means the golf courses have been set up. Too much in our favor or too much in their favor—it's a work in progress, and, and they're, they're, they're going to figure that out really quickly. Um, but I think, I think twenty twenty three, whenever they have them on, when, when they start to fill their fields, I think I think the, the concept has gone great strength, and I think it's going to, I think it's going to go a lot stronger when they genuinely start bashing the door down to beat us. I guess to Saturday, you
1: probably haven't hit too many better competition rounds than a 62 like you did on uh, on Saturday. The putter really seemed to be the difference. I don't know if, if you felt that as well, but watching it, like you you were rolling everything in with the flat stick, was that the catalyst for a 62 or, or did you find that it was probably just everything was going right?
0: Yeah, I, like, yeah. to be fair, everything, everything went well, you know. Like it, it was one of those rounds. It was, it was quite weird. I, I come off the golf course and everyone, I was leading by three, I think, and everyone was kind of like, how'd you shoot 62? Like, where'd you do that? Like, did you, did you not play a And I was like, I kind of thought to myself, well, you know, I made a couple of nice par parts on 14 and 15, but I was like, I didn't want to sound like a dick and be like, man, I missed like five or six, 10 footers that I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking I left, I left some out there. I'm not, you know, it was, it was strange. You know, I think I hit 16 or 17 greens uh, I'm at mighty. 16 greens, so I've had a lot of good looks. The greens aren't the biggest, so if you if you're on the green, you're going to have a good look. But the the key was is I played late Friday, early second group out Saturday. You know we had a lot. We had really wet greens, spike marks on them, which you can't do anything about. You know you've got 140 people walking across the green. And then all of a sudden I roll out there Saturday morning, and they're like carpet. Not a person's been on them, and I just keep hitting it to seven, eight, nine, ten foot. And I will uh, I just was seeing them I was just seeing the lines I was seeing the middle of the hole had the pace of the greens and I was just pouring them right in the middle so I hit a lot of good shots to give me good chances you know then all of a sudden I'm putting on carpet and, and you know then kind of sort of latent around I missed a few that I thought I missed a few that I thought were really gettable um, but you know it, it is what it is but yeah to you know shoot 62 anyways you know, pretty good
2: and uh, Sunday, I think for me, and you can tell me to shut the fuck up here because this could be a completely wrong take, but <laughs> <You>
0: <laughs> for you me, you watch- you, you like,
2: <laughs> for me watching on TV, uh, obviously bogeys on on three and five on Sunday, but that stretch then afterwards of six, seven, eight, and nine where you saved par, um, that for me was a really really critical part of your round which then and then you jammed a really nice shot on 11 on that par three to make a birdie and then things just kind of clicked back back into gear but those par saves could have so easily turned into a couple more bogeys and all of a sudden you know you're finishing back in the pack like can you maybe is that is that fair assessment that sort of middle middle part of that round there that really kind of held it all together and then get hitting that one shot on the par three brought everything back to life for you
0: yeah, I, I, I in some ways I I, I wouldn't I'm not going to tell you to shut the phone up but in some ways you, you're in some ways in some ways it was I never it, I never sort of wavered from um I never sort of wavered from um, that it will be okay it will work what I'm doing is working um so I, I actually had some nice looks at birdie on six I might have had like a eight or nine footer seven probably about the same distance eight maybe 10, 11 foot. Nine, I had a really good look at birdie, and ten, I had a really good look at birdie, and they just weren't going in. Uh, I I kind of just said to myself, you know, you just got to keep doing what you're doing. It, it worked up until now, right? It's worked all summer. It, it, it's 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 working every event that I've played in. You just, just got to keep trusting the process, and I just went back to what I what I wanted to do, and um, you just I've been working really hard on the mental side, so it was more about doing what I needed to do on on the mental side which which I did, you know, and, I, and I, I did it really well. And, you know, I just had the perfect number into 11, you know, it's a tough little par three, but it, it just, it might've been a horrible number for other people, but it was perfect for me. And I just jammed it in there to two foot. It was a tap in. 12 is a really tough par four, um, made a nice par there. And then I, I, I nearly hold it on 13. And it was just, I would probably, the way I would say it is something that I've tried to really hard work on is being comfortable at being uncomfortable. So. And I would say, I would say that was at that moment, I was like, okay, like, it doesn't matter how nervous or anxious or worried about, you know, this or that or whatever it is. If you just stick to what you know works, you can produce and just keep doing that. So then, you know, 14 and 15, had another really good look. It was just a matter of just staying patient. You know, if I run out of holes, I was going to run out of holes, but I'd rather live and die by the sword. You seemed pretty calm
2: in the playoff, which um, obviously you mentioned before, but uh, I loved the, the bit of emotion that you showed on 11 when you made that birdie. Just uh, It was just a nice little fist bump that you, you gave yourself. And and I think, you know, maybe talking about your mental game there, that was kind of just a bit of a confidence boost to bring bring everything back together. The emotion was something that I haven't probably seen out of you for a little while. Pike, you seem pretty cool, calm and collected on the golf course. Maybe I just haven't
1: watched
0: you closely enough. I don't know. Yeah. I, I I tend to show I tend to show a little bit of emotion but but I'm really good at letting it go um, but in, in my, my probably my biggest criticism that I either have of myself or you know the guys that I work with mentally that they would say is I probably I'm too uh, I'm too keen to show the negative emotion and maybe not enough of the positive emotion so what you said there is you probably didn't see me react too much about anything early on because nothing not that nothing good happened but I wasn't getting any great results so to speak I was doing the right things process wise but then when something clicks and works like that you've got to pat yourself on the back right like if you if you if you're not your biggest fan who the fuck is so I had I had to let myself know well done that was really good let's keep going let's do it again so it's it's that it's that affirmation that the you know that the brain needs, you know, and you know, and and then you just put it into practice. So and then you walk up, you got a really tough t shot. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the T shot at 12 at Cyprus, but I'd rather play TBC sawgrass 18, two in front like Cameron Smith, and still have to make part of win that tournament than that T shot. It is unbelievably tough. Mates, uh two quick ones
1: before we let you go. So, we fast forward to this week. We know you're in, in preparation mode now for New South Wales. I read a, an article last night that, uh, and it may have changed today because you may have put in his entry. But as of last night, um, Brad Kennedy was the only person in the top 10 currently of the Order of Merit who wasn't uh, at Concord this week. So, it all feels like, given it's the biggest purse remaining, that everyone has really set their sights on on the New South Wales Open. Obviously, uh, the three uh, top three finishers in the Order America get their European Tour cards. Uh, we know now that uh, the top finisher, not otherwise exempt, will be heading to Brookline for the US Open. So this feels like a, a bit of a, a turning point in this tournament in particular. There's obviously four events left afterwards, but no, nothing in the vicinity of this purse. It definitely feels like a bit of a pressure cooker
0: this week coming into, uh, coming into New South Wales. Yes, it... It should be good. Every single one of these events has been like that. You, like it's if you've been if we if we somehow got one of those gra- graphs and it showed the it showed the top ten order of merit since the Australian PGA, it would just blow your mind the, the, the fluctuations that we've sort of seen. So you know, I'm sixth now. I might be tenth by the end of this week. I might be able to you just you got no idea. It's so it, it, yeah. It's a good it's a good spot to be in. I've only got five guys in front of me. Uh, in terms of my perspective, I haven't set myself a goal in terms of top three, top five, top 10, top 20, win the order of merit. I, I honestly haven't, because when, when Aaron does that, problems happen, to be fair. You, you, know, you don't perform that well, pressure comes on that doesn't, doesn't and shouldn't be there. The biggest thing I've been working on, I said it earlier on in this chat, was it's ever since the Australian PGA, and I had a good result there, it's just been foot to the floor. Let's play as good as we can at every possible moment. Let's hit every single shot as good as I possibly can. And then when it comes after the NTPGA, we add them up, we see where we are. I, I Honestly, I'm not getting too far ahead of myself, but that doesn't change the fact that, you know, we're playing for double the prize money this week. Um, We've got blokes only, so there's no girls in there that are going to be taking prize money off guys, which is which is a big thing, you know. Like I, I run first last week, and the next prize money for a for a bloke is is third prize money. It's tied third prize money. So that's a huge gap that I've just picked up on those guys. So um those little things, you know, you don't even think about. And I kind of didn't think about till about 10 seconds ago when I was just having this chat with you. So, you know, we've got a strong field. We got all the boys are here. Like you say, Brad's not here, but you know, everyone else is there or thereabouts. Now we've got Dodie back as well. I'm not sure what his schedule is like for the rest of the year. So I know he's about to have his uh, second child. So um, he's he's probably got some bigger things to worry about realistically than golf tournaments. But it it should be an interesting sort of month and a half to finish off the season. Uh, I don't think this is the be all and end all, but you can set yourself up pretty, pretty quickly on Sunday.
1: Yeah, you're off uh, with Jake McLeod and Jeffrey Guan. I see And Jeffrey's obviously just come back from the states and and making a big name for himself in the amateur space. So it's a good little group which we we'll look forward to uh, keeping an eye on across Thursday and Friday, mate. Just finally, um, pretty shitty of Cameron Smith to piss on your parade a little bit, eh? By just jumping in there and having a win this week. No,
0: there's absolutely nothing. I think he's won three and a half million dollars US. I think he deserves everything that he's got. Like it's um. Yeah, he's, I've known Cam a long time. I remember him when he was a little upstart kid, you know, and you just knew this guy was going to be something pretty good. So I think in 10 years' time, we might be talking about Cameron Smith a hell of a lot more than we are just after winning a players. Tend to agree. Mate, it's always a pleasure. Uh, and thank you for your time a couple of days out from a
1: tournament. We wish you the very best of luck in... Not just this week, but I know you probably will be playing everything between now and the end of the summer, and hopefully we see your name right at the point at the end of that order of merit, mate. So as always, great to have your company, and uh, we look forward to seeing how the rest of the summer plays out for you, Pike. Cheers. Thanks very much.